0: Good evening. You are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune in to this week's episode. I'm your host Ashling O'Rourke and each week we talk about environmental issues without lecturing you, giving you some, you know, tips, advice, tricks that we can all benefit from and a little bit of information about what is already happening here in Ireland around tackling the climate crisis. Now, For many people across the Midlands, this is heading into what is going to be a very busy season. Spring and summer are hectic times for farmers right across the country. And We're joined now by project manager with a relatively new organisation, Farming for Nature, Bridget Barry, to talk about the work that they do and um, what we can expect, I suppose, out and about this coming summer season. Bridget, you're very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for inviting me. Now, it is it's worth saying, Bridget, that for people who are not farmers, that this is the time of year when if you see tractors and trailers on the road, slow down, take care. This is a hectic time of year and maybe exercise a little bit of patience.
1: Absolutely. I suppose, you know, uh, yes, it is a really busy time of year, especially for those who are involved in uh, tillage or, um, you know, getting crops in and stuff. Uh, The you know make hay when the sun shines, as they say and and you never know in Ireland when that's coming and no. how long it's gonna last for us so for <clears throat> for many uh farmers when it is sunny and stuff it's a it's a very busy time, and I know myself in my own family growing up, it was all hands on deck till four in the morning when it was harvest season or silage season or whatever it was so uh yep, yeah, no it's a it's a busy time, and also um I suppose with the bigger the tractor and the smaller the roads uh. The more people complicated let, the drive yeah, gets, yeah, yeah. People kind of forget uh, about uh, how much speed these uh, these beasts can can take, and uh, but I mean, I I can't get into that because I, I don't know very much about it. So well, don't ask me anything about horsepowers, okay? That's all right. <laughs> that's absolutely
0: fine, and uh, Bridget. But it's also worth saying as well because you mentioned it there, and I know in my the farmers of my own family, like. There is a tendency at this time of year in a lot of farms for everyone to work all the hours of daylight to work under floodlights. And, you know, we're not robots, we're human beings. And tiredness is when accidents happen. So just, you know, a warning that sometimes it's not very sensible to work into the early hours of the morning and you will get work done to a better standard if you went home and got some sleep. But look, <laughs> there'll be people that listen and people that won't. And they're hard to convince. But um, just we've done the public safety announcements for the evening. <laughs> yeah. That's so, it. Bridget, what is for people who've never heard of your organisation, Farming for Nature? What is it? What does it do?
1: Yeah, so Farming for Nature, uh, we're about five years old now. So we were set up in 2018. And we kind of saw that a lot of the narrative that was out there was that farmers are on one side and nature's on the other side. In, you know, the I think the media can be a bit divisive sometimes with putting kind of the environment and farmers apart from each other. But as everyone knows, I mean, land and farming is very much part of nature. Mm-hmm. And I mean, every farmer... Worth their while knows that they're they're farming alongside nature or with nature, but there's a lot of farmers who are doing great work for nature, and we just wanted to highlight those farmers and hopefully by sharing their stories, kind of that it would inspire other farmers to also kind of consider what practices they're doing on their land and how they can both be still a productive farm, but but still kind of include nature where possible. I mean, I don't need to tell you if you run an environmental. program on the radio that you know we're we're in the midst and heading straight towards a kind of massive biodiversity crisis and climate crisis and you know everything that can be done for nature needs to be done uh, for wildlife and um, for our soils for food production but this includes food production because yeah. food, good nutrient dense food relies on good soils and wildlife relies on you know Good soils, good uh, hedgerows, um, you know, healthy water. All of us rely, by the way, on healthy water, uh, clean water, fertile soils, and as much wildlife as possible out in the um, out in the landscape. So, farming for nature was set up to both kind of change the dialogue around that uh, that that you know, farmers are not working alongside nature, but also to kind of encourage farmers. To do more, to do as much as they can. And then we've also set up a network of farmers who are doing great stuff. So at the moment, we have what we call ambassadors. So we have about 81 ambassadors across Ireland. So we include, um, through our Farming for Nature Ambassador Awards, we pick up about 15 new ambassadors a year. And these range and go from a variety of farming types and land systems. And each one has a unique story to tell about how they farm alongside nature, but they're still agriculturally progressive. And of course, they're, you know, socially very engaged so that they can share their story, communicate with others. And that's really
0: important because like farming for nature is not at the expense of being productive and being able to earn an income from the land. It's working with the land so that you can maintain the type of life you and your family has had for generations. And there's an awful lot of fear, I think, that from the farming sector in in that, like, it's kind of we do things the way we've always done them or we just give up, whereas you're coming in with, well, actually, we can alter practices and still continue to farm the land.
1: Yeah, and I, I would also say what I have heard from a lot of uh, our farmers and also I saw in my own farm family is that, you know, a a lot changed. Uh, There was a lot of pressures obviously came down the route in the seventies and eighties, but a lot of farmers that we work with would often look at how their grandparents farmed. Mm. And, you know, and I know that financial pressures people would say, well, they're different these days than back in the fifties and sixties, but also um, a lot of the farmers that we work with would say, even though they've lowered their stock, their land is more productive in many ways, or they've kind of lowered their pressures or their inputs. So, so if you're putting a lot of chemical inputs, as in like industry suggests, on your land, very often, yes, your your yield might go up massively in the you know over the years, but your also your dependency on chemical inputs goes up. So, I mean, I know many farmers um, who would. But on average, you know, maybe 100 to 200 grand a year of chemical inputs on their land. So you have to make that back on your land before you're making any profits, but your yields might be higher. So if you're pulling back on your inputs um, and you're looking at biological farming as opposed to chemical farming. So biological farming is looking at your soil. What does your soil need to be more fertile and how can you build that up? you'll find that perhaps your yield will go down, but your profit margins in many cases will may stay the same and stuff. So it's kind of looking at your land in a new way. It's not going back to the good old days of, you know, pushing a horse and cart around for, you know, of course some people are doing that and that's grand, but in many ways it's just actually looking at your land in a way that perhaps uh, industry isn't encouraging you to look at it uh, because it's your land you know, you have to be dependent on just yourself and not on, say, inputs and Mm -hmm. and how much that's cost and the variance and costs that that might happen with different things that are happening on the global market. By looking and having control over your own land and your own product is, is actually, I think, a very important aspect of farming alongside nature because nature will actually do a lot of the heavy work for you if you allow it to. But if you're, you know, put on... Your herbicides, your pesticides, your insecticides—you know, you're you're taking a lot of, you know, you take away a lot of that control because while you might be killing what you consider pests, you're also killing predators of these pests. But if you allow your land to just refine its balance and allow nature to, like I say, do the heavy lifting for you, you'll find over time there may be a more balance. Now, I I get everyone has a different starting point. Um, some people, and I, I suppose, and I think there will be just. On that, like, I think if if you've done something a
0: particular way and you're for years and you're under financial strain, family commitments, you know, that the climate changing day by day um, and the uncertainty of the Irish climate, like farmers are under an awful lot of pressure. And it can be in that heightened state. um, It can be very difficult to take a step back. And there might be a fear that if I'm going to change my practices, I'm going to have to spend a lot of money and I might not have access to that cash to do that. Um, so like if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about, well, maybe, you know, in my heart of heart, I know that what I'm doing is not good for the environment and there is a better way of doing things. Like, Do, do farmers need to shell out? Money to change their practices, or, or like, how do you start making that slow adjustment to a, um, a more environmentally way of farming?
1: Sure, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot in that, and as you've, I think one of the biggest things to say is every single farm comes from a different starting point. Every single farm Mm. has a different connection to their pocket. (laughs) For a start, you know what what their bank manager is telling them, and I think that's absolutely fair enough. And I. We work with a lot of farmers who have moved from a very intensive farming to more biological farming, but very slowly, you know. I mean, if by ripping off the plaster in one go, that might not suit some people because they're unable to do that. Um so I think first of all, one is to look at your accounts, see what your inputs are, see what can be changed, what can be decreased. Are you really you know, spreading them where, it, it, like, do they need to be spread as much? Does your soil need that much? Or is it, you know, so I think looking at your budgets is very important. And I think a lot of people um, obviously know their budgets, but having a good look at the overview of the annual budget is a good place to start. The other place to also look at is, can you make small changes? Like, it's incremental. Can you start with one field? Can you start with one corner of one field, right? Uh If, you know, is can you look at one field over a period of a few years and uh, kind of go, right, I'll make small changes and see if that's going to work for my system. So it might not suit to change your 100 acre farm overnight, but it might suit to kind of change three acres and Mm -hmm. see has that worked. Uh, You know, if you have time on your hands, brilliant. You know, the other thing to do is, um, I mean, very small things make a big difference to wildlife. So. You know by having wildlife corridors so are your hedgerows how are they looking can you leave them grow i mean i know that you have to maybe manage hedgerows along by roadsides and stuff you're because you're liable for that but how about hedgerows in the middle of the fields can they grow and as a result are there <laughs> ways that you can attract you know more wildlife to that area like are there the gaps in them can you lay the hedges can you you know can you take a few days in november when? maybe other things aren't going on and go, right, I'm going to attack and look at this field and see how I can make this field better for wildlife, you know? And so, or maybe you can uh, cut a, you know, leave a bit of a pollinator strip. So say you're doing, um, you know, cutting in the next few weeks and stuff. Can you leave a strip along by the hedgerow, a strip for just so that grasses can grow insects can come in and more and more, uh, Pollinators can be attracted to the area because the more the pollinators, the better for your crops, obviously. Um, Or if you are cutting um, for silage or for hay, can you start in the middle of the field and cut going outwards as opposed to outwards going inwards? Because that allows wildlife and insects the opportunity to escape as opposed to if you're going outwards, inwards. It's I was wondering where
0: it. you were going with that, yeah. and then I was like, "Oh, that makes sense. Okay." Yeah. So instead so of the traditional small... way of starting from the gate and working around and back, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you go um, inwards, outwards. Um, so I mean, there's kind of small changes that you can make that could make a big difference to wildlife. Maybe you have a bit of um, a bit of wetland. You know, could you manage that wetland so it or could you just you know leave it a bit and then manage it? Um, so that it can attract more kind of wildlife or, you know, is there an area you can deal, dig a pond on your on your land? Because ponds are kind of one of the biggest uh, bang for buck. They take a few days to maybe dig. And actually, it might be kind of an obvious place coming off a stream or something. And it's not an already existing habitat for wildlife. And it could actually bring lots more wildlife and it's not uh, impacting on your productivity in any way or do you have a stream and river going through your land? Is there any way that you can pull the fence back a bit um, and instead of maybe uh, being productive right up to the edge of the stream or having your cattle going into the stream or whatever, that you pull your fence back, you know, two, three, 10 metres, whatever you can afford, and allow that riparian zone to kind of to grow out and grow up. And uh, and again, that it would attract more insects and wildlife and provide a corridor for uh, for wildlife. In life. relation to that, the the adjusting
0: of the, let's call them the working boundaries of your land. Like, so if you're going to take maybe a strip of land out of commission for, for productivity purposes, but you're doing it in order to support biodiversity, is there an impact then on grants that you might be eligible for? Because I know that that's all down to measuring your acreage and the available land for work.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'm not the best person to ask about this because it varies on farm to farm. But all I can say is for a lot of farmers, they will say, yes, it does impact. But at the same time, it provides either a better working environment. It provides more, sh- say, if you have cattle, right? And you are you have very low functioning hedgerows in terms of what I would see as a functioning hedgerow. Um, but you allow it to grow up and out. You're If you have a dairy cow... And it has uh, shelter in the wind or shade in the summer. It's actually producing more milk. Okay, so yes, it might you know on the balance sheet divvy out on your grants, but in the longer term for your the benefit of your say your animals, are they going to be a better animal and therefore you get better price for it? Also, there's the you know, and at the, uh, the same for your say your pollinator strips and stuff. Oh, I'm taking a piece out of my crop. This is a disaster. But is that pollinated perv- strip providing enough room for pollinators that perhaps you don't need the same amount of fertilizers? You do you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. it's you, you have to be a bit more imaginative about it and actually look at your farm in a very holistic approach as opposed to oh, well, that's not going to work because it's it's taken 10 foot. But actually, what is it going to work for? Is it going to work for your livestock better? Is it going to work for your crops better? Is it going to work for your soil overall better? And, you know, so the more um biological farming you can bring onto the, your farm, the more control you have over it, you don't necessarily have to use as much chemicals. So then what kind of
0: like as i said earlier you are a relatively young entrant into the 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 organization space when it comes to the various farm organizations that we have in ireland what kind of uh, response have you been getting
1: yeah so uh, so farming for nature was born out of something called the burn program which was working for the last 20 years up in the burn um it would be kind of one of the main results-based payment schemes in Europe and it would be considered a very exemplary farming scheme uh, in on a European level and at a, a national level it's kind of the basis for most of the results-based payment schemes so up there in the burn, um I now live in Cork but at the time I was working up there and we saw up there what is able to happen when farmers are given the right resources and uh, given do you know, the, about the right knowledge about their, you know, the biodiversity and what what that means for their land. And we also kind of started to do an award system up there. And, uh, you know, the farmers that had the best biodiversity were given an award and we kind of started to see the sense of pride that farmers and were given once they won the award and their ability to communicate that to others. We just wanted to see if you could roll that out on a national level, which we did uh, and this is where we have the ambassador awards and that's where we started. But then around that, we started to see that the resources available to farmers that want to make changes aren't very good. So we started to build up our resources. So we have like videos, we have podcasts, we have lots of different tips on our website about, you know, what you can do by season, by sector, by, uh, by habitat for your land. Um, and so we have build, been building that up. We have a, a social media following. Um, I would say when you say, what is our response? I would say that we have a very, we work with a very positive group of farmers who are doing an amazing work on their lands. And I don't think you could have a negative response. I mean, they're, they're producing, you know, fertile soils, biodiversity, clean waters They're but sharing that with their neighbors and not, and in many ways yes that in terms of ma- mainstream farming you're going to have the people who possibly will never be able to come on board because it's just not where they sit um but i think in general there is a movement uh people are looking for different options they they understand no matter how stuck in the mud uh their kind of past systems have been that the climate is changing uh i and they have to look about how they can be more climate resilient and both adapt for the climate and mitigate maybe against it, have, you know, responsibility towards that. Um, so I think farmers are kind of now looking, what are our options? You know, and I suppose, um, unfortunately, with the war in Ukraine, that also mm. led to farmers looking elsewhere in terms of their inputs, you know, because the the prices just went astronomical. Uh, so farmers had to look at, okay, what other options have we got? So, in terms of the resources we have and the network that we share and their stories, I think a, a lot of people are coming knocking on our doors and kind of saying, OK, what can I do and how can I do it? And it really varies from your, um, you know, 300 acre intensive tillage farmer to your person who may have just bought five acres, you know, and it varies from whether you're trying to grow vegetables to having alpacas to having a you know, a five fifteen hundred acre tillage farm. So there's lots of, it's just about creating the knowledge, the network and sharing that where possible. And also sharing that there's other really good organizations out there. They're also supporting farmers that are doing this stuff. So while our voice isn't very loud at the moment, it's, I think it's quite a, a ground movement and it's, it's, I mean, I I just, uh, I just coordinate Uh, farming for nature, but actually it's our farmers that are doing all the hard work. They're the ones communicating the story. They're the ones with the knowledge, the expertise, and it's about trying to get their story out there is the most important thing to us.
0: Well, one of the things I'd like to do with this show and I've tried to do since we came on air last year was to get this kind of a conversation going where it's not about climate activists working against farmers and, and vice versa, that we see that there is a role for both sides to play and that we have these less di- divisive or less divisive, my apologies, um, conversations, but actually look at the action that we can take as a community as a whole. And uh, Bridget, uh, Barry, thank you so much for joining us on Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Bridget, if anybody listening is interested in getting involved in the work that you do, how do they find out more?
1: Yeah, sure. So you know, first of all, you can go on farmingfornature.ie, and there's loads of tips and tricks on there. If we're doing a series of farm walks, we I think we have about thirty farm walks throughout the country this summer. Um, we'll we have different events going on, so keep an eye and either join our newsletter, which we send out quarterly, or if people are on social media we're on all the usual social media platforms so follow us and you'll see all the different things that are going on the other thing that we're offering to farmers across the country for the next few months a few weeks sorry it closes on the 10th of june is our peer to peer um mentorship so what this is is that farmers who have an interest in another farmer coming on their land and giving advice practical advice uh, just have to apply it's only 50 quid in all, if they get selected uh, and we pay the rest to the farmer who's visiting and they a farmer comes for uh, one of our ambassadors will visit their farm and just be able to give kind of practical tips on how they can farm a bit more for nature, but, you know, still remain productive. So that might be of interest to many of your listeners. So that's called the horse's mouth because it's from the horse's mouth uh, mentorship. And that's available to view on farmingfornature.ie. Well Bridget Barry thank you very much for your time and perhaps we'll check back in over the summer
0: and see how those farm walks are progressing. We will be back after the break.
2: Midlands 103.
0: You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well what did you make of my conversation there with Bridget Barry from Farming for Nature? It does seem to be the way to go indeed to to work with both sides of this what is a divisive issue like we, we do need farmers to produce the food that we need in order to survive but we also need to mine the environment and farmers need to mind the environment so that they can produce the food um, so it's, 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 it's while it can become a hot topic and while in some media outlets it can be a very divisive topic I do hope that here on the show we show the nuances from all involved and enlighten you as to the choices that you can make when it comes to doing your bit to support the environment. And I'm no saint. I definitely have room for improvement in my own life when it comes to my own practices um, in how I live my life and doing it in a more environmentally friendly way. But... You know, just like that very famous book by James Clear, Atomic Habits. Actually, that's one book I would recommend. It's a brilliant book. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. But, you know, if we do one little thing consistently... Every single day, it's amazing what we can achieve in a prolonged period of time. Well, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Brida Mullaney. And Brida is a nutritionist here in the Midlands. And we're going to be talking about how we can change our diets to become more environmentally friendly, to go more plant based, but to do it in a safe way so that our bodies don't suffer the consequences. We'll be back in a few moments time.
2: Midlands 183.
0: You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103, and I hope you are enjoying this week's episode of the show so far. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I sat in on Saturday View on Midlands 103, where I was delighted to be joined by Breeda Mullaney to talk about a vegan diet, but unfortunately, the nature of things, technology didn't play ball that day and we had to cut the interview short. We ran out of time. So I thought, you know what, we need to get Brida on Let's Go Green and we need to have time for a conversation. So Brida, you're very welcome to Let's Go Green. And it's nice to have you on air again with us.
2: Thank you very much, Aisling. Glad to be here.
0: Now, Brida, as I was saying to you before we came on air uh, just a a few days ago now, but um, just before we came on air, a new report was released by the Climate and Health Alliance. And I'll read the headline from the RTE website because I think that's the real uh, doom and gloom headline from this particular report. Irish, and I'm saying that in jest now, just in case anybody gets offended, but Irish diet like a slow motion disaster fueling premature death and disability. And according to the Climate Health Alliance, we should be moving more towards a plant-based diet. Now, Brida, I, and I, I said it on air, I'm a meat eater. I, I, I was a vegetarian for most of my childhood. I hated meat. I don't know why. Well, I, I I, I know why my, my, my granny gave me a pet sheep and then I realized what happened to sheep. And then that was it. This, You know, so granny O'Rourke, it's all your fault. But <laughs> um, I am not against veganism or, or anything like that. Right. Before anybody gives out to me. But my fear is particularly when it comes to young people, We're educating all of ourselves, myself included, young people about climate change. We're we're talking about the the imminent danger that our planet is in and the, the methods that we should be maybe learning more about so that we can live our lives in a more environmentally friendly and sustainable way. And as part of that, we do need to look at our food consumption and whether or not the diet that we live with and live by is harming the environment. And we as adults can make very reasoned changes in our diet and hopefully educate ourselves on those changes before we make them. For young teenagers in particular, um, they may fall in down a rabbit hole when it comes to social media and we should all cut everything out of the diet and we shouldn't be eating anything. And before you know it, you could end up in a very serious health situation. So um, I'd like to have a more nuanced conversation today, Brida, if that's all right. Um, We all, I think in Ireland, we we probably could do better when it comes to including plants in our diet. Would that be safe to say?
2: That's absolutely safe to say. I think, you know, we have to look at what actually the word, diet means it actually comes from the greek word now oh, excuse me anyone from greece Dieta. and it means way of life mm. so i think it's a nicer way to look at it because we there's always this association when you're talking about diet it's automatically associated with weight loss um reduction of this reduction of that you know and all this but we and as you said, with our diet here in Ireland, we have got, we've got quite a Western-style diet, which is the most unhealthiest diet yeah. in the world, and that's where the problem is. It's not, um, you know, we should look more towards the Mediterranean diet, which is far more plant-based. Now, I'm not a vegan or vegetarian, as like yourself, I do have meat and I do have fish, but. It's a balance between mm-hmm. what you're actually intaking and how it's actually sourced and all of that as well, which comes into the climate change aspect of it. But for people that are thinking of going vegetarian or vegan, particularly vegan, I think, um, because you're losing out on dairy and um, possibly eggs and different sources of additional protein like that, is go to your GP, get your bloodstone. done, First and foremost, get the blood done. Go to your GP, get that sorted out, get a health check done. And particularly for girls that are menstruating because of the iron level. Meat is a good source of iron, of what they call heme iron, which is more easily absorbed by the body, where it is not as much in the vegetables. You will get it from your green leafy vegetables, but it, the body has to work harder for it to absorb it. And it's a really good point about
0: teenage girls, because when puberty kicks in and you're going, (laughs) I remember well being a teenage girl and how challenging it all is. And I remember being a teenage girl, not that we didn't have the Internet, because we did have the Internet and we did have chat rooms and all of that. We had social media of a kind. We didn't have it in the same way that we have it nowadays. But I grew up in the the 90s and 90s as a teenager looking at the likes of Kate Moss in the magazines. And we were all buying magazines and looking at the very, very slim models and trying to figure out how to fit into this world that would only see us as being beautiful if we were a particular body shape. I remember going into dressing rooms and being in tears because there was an event coming up and I couldn't find anything that I felt good in, you know? And and I don't care what technological advancement happens. I think it's a phase of life that every young person goes through, male or female, and Mm -hmm. social media is not helping that. Um, If you say say you have a teenager in your life and particularly uh, a menstruating young lady, like what could you suggest? Say, Say they want to give up meat. They don't want the steak or the burger or whatever it might be. To, to keep that iron level up, what should we be doing to make sure that they're healthy?
2: Yes. Um, the first thing I would do with anyone that is trying to trying to change to a vegan diet is do not do it all at once.
0: Okay. Stop.
2: Don't just suddenly, bang, it's gone. Build it up slowly. Have one meat-free day a week, two week two, and build it up. So your body actually adjusts to all of this because you're going to have to educate yourself in what your body actually requires to get your iron levels in, which is all your green leafy vegetables, adding in things like your your vitamin C, your citrus fruits and things like that to help actually absorb the iron from the non-heme sources, like your green leafy vegetables, so adding that in. Getting teas and coffees and things like that away from your food because that prevents the absorption of iron as well. So, so there's a lot of education. The, so on that, so I know many
0: people who would have maybe their lunch with a cup of tea or their dinner with a cup of tea. Are you saying that we should have the dinner and later on have the tea? Like uh, that, that, maybe About a, half an hour. Okay, half, half an hour half apart, half. apart. Really? Yes. Yes. I think that will shock a lot of listeners. <laughs>
2: It is. It is a very Irish thing to have a cup of tea with immediately after your dinner, or a cup of coffee, and the same or have it with your lunch and things like that. It's a very Irish thing, but I'm afraid to help with the absorption, you because of the tannins in the tea that prevent the absorption of the iron. So you need to add maybe a bit of vitamin C to it. Like if you squeezed a bit of lemon over your salad, mm-hmm. there's your vitamin C automatically over your greens. So okay. that will help absorb the iron but just try and keep the teas and coffees away from your your actual meals so it will help
0: one thing i love doing now we're not in june yet and i'm not wishing my life away but once we get into strawberry season and summer season i love adding segments of mandarins and strawberries to my salads and a bit of balsamic vinegar it feels mediterranean to me and it looks nice and pretty so therefore i'm more likely to eat it and like let's be honest about it so Do we need to maybe encourage young people to if they're if they're seeing all this information and they're overwhelmed? And I get this a lot of time. I don't have children, but I have young people very close to me in my life. And I and I hear them asking the questions about God, you know, it's overwhelming. It's so frightening. It's so scary that the climate crisis is happening. Are we going to have a future? And I want to do something. And I hear how helpless they feel. And then. The fear that I have is that if they start controlling what they're eating, that that will have other negative consequences. So is it about getting them involved in making their food every day and and getting them to take pride in doing their bit for the climate, but while educating them subtly along the way?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I think education is the key, regardless of what you're actually doing with regards to food, no matter what diet you decide to go on. You know it just there's every diet and uh, believe you me there's a lot of diets out there between keto low carb high fat um there's um intermittent fasting there's fast 800 you name it there's a diet version of it somewhere so you have to educate yourself to it and not and to remember that not every diet suits everyone mm. the one diet does not suit everyone we're all very very individual as regards how we absorb food, how we deal with it, how we get our nutrients and else. We're all extraordinary individual. And, uh, you know, and that has to be taken into account. Whereas vegan diet might suit you, it might not suit me. Um, the same with a meat-based diet or whatever particular yeah. diet, you need to get a diet, you know, some people thrive on the keto diet, which is a very high, you know, kind of heavy meat-based diet, and they thrive on it. But others, it just does not agree with them. So you have to kind of find which one is actually most appropriate to you. But to educate, I think, as regards education with the climate change, is a lot more emphasis on locally sourced mm-hmm. fruit and veg. Locally sourced, even meats and things like that, to try and get them locally sourced. There's a fantastic, as I, as you probably know, market, Saturday morning market in Tullamore. There is. That has... Yes, they have their organic farmers there and there's a couple of other vegetable and fruit stalls. So, you know, they are there to actually... And I know,
0: and we're very lucky in the Midlands in that we have fabulous local food producers and we have a good few markets that I think a lot of them tend to be, it's either a Thursday, Friday or Saturday, depending on where you live in the Midlands, We've loads of places where we can go and and meet the producers and have the chat. Mm -hmm. And and how did you make that? God, that's interesting, you know, and it's it's a social outing as much as anything else.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And to to look more in that direction and to because to educate people, say these are available here. You know, and there are, you know, easy access, things like that. So that's kind of, I think, is the way to go with it. Mm -hmm. Sustainable farming is the way to deal with, you know, kind of with the climate. It's sustainable farming. It's not all farming, you know, all farming is bad and all of, you know, it's not that. It has to be sustainable. Uh, We can can support that by
0: buying from farmers or producers in our own localities. Um, Exactly. And going and actually, and particularly, I think, young people bringing them along when you're doing the grocery shop and that simple thing of looking for the country of origin. Exactly. You know, like, exactly. Like, say, I know, like, um, and I have to admit, I like avocados, but avocados do not come from Ireland. Um, You know, and it is a bit you have to pick when you pick them up in the supermarket and you see that stamp of whatever country, however many thousands of miles, it makes you think, you know, about whether or not I really need it and yes. you can make an informed choice exactly. one of the things that i think when people talk about going vegan um it's a verb now which fascinates mm-hmm. me but anyway um like and i'm someone who for medical reasons i've had to cut out wheat i've had to cut out milk um mm-hmm. and i found the adjustment to cutting out milk much more challenging and I really miss a nice cup of proper tea, as I would call it. But hey, it is what it is. And I've gotten used to it. But there's an awful lot when you go into one of the big supermarkets and you look at the dairy free aisle or the vegan aisle, there's an awful lot of packaged, processed food that looks very tempting and looks very, very tasty. Mm -hmm. But like how healthy is it for you? Like because there's a part of me that looks at it and goes, just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's actually good for you.
2: It's like any anything that's highly processed, regardless of what it is, is not good for you. And of mm-hmm. uh, be it vegan, anything if it's highly processed, it is not good for you. The more natural you can go, or the more the least amount of processing you can uh, f- process foods you can eat, the healthier you will actually be. A processed foods highly particularly highly processed foods are meant to be highly palatable, highly addictive and highly calorific. So there's a combination there of all that going on. So overall for your health there's insulin resistance, all of those things you know pre-diabetics, all of that is all got to do with our particularly a highly processed diet. Okay, so if you can go back to you know even the basics of learning how to cook, mm, I personally think home economics should be. Right the way through secondary school. Oh, it should be
0: compulsory. And like, compulsory. you know, and we should all yeah. leave school knowing how to make a, a meat-free meal, for example. Yes. Or, you know, we should Absolutely. all leave school. We should all leave school knowing how to do a household budget. But that's another <laughs> conversation. Because <laughs> I, <'cause laughs> I chose, I love to cook, but I chose not to do home economics because I didn't have to, yes. you know. And that's, that's as, yes. that's that was as, you know, as um, nuanced as my decision process was as a 13 or 14 year old, you know. um. So if you're say you're like me and for whatever reason, you've had to cut milk out or you've just you've either had to cut milk out because the doctor has told you to, like in my case, or you've chosen to because you're trying to do a bit for the environment. Like the only alternative I have found is and I'm not going to call it oat milk, but the oat oat drink because farmers will give out to me. But it's not milk. It's the oat based drink. And the, the reason I've settled on that one, and I know lots of people have different tastes, was for me that it's the one that tastes the least as in there's no flavor to it um yes and i can and i'm not going to name the brand but i can buy one that's pro- produced by an irish manufacturer and it made me feel less guilty um, yes but i'm conscious that if you're particularly a teenager and you're growing and you're trying to cut out dairy products and maybe milk might be part of that that we need calcium for our bones and and all that so like what are yes. the alternatives that you you can, or what's the other option for people?
2: Okay, well, for calcium, for anyone that is vegan or, you know, vegetarian and they don't want to be having milk, um, is dark green leafy vegetables, um, chopped, lightly steamed, not raw, because it, there's better absorption for that. Pak choy, turnips, greens, spinach. Um, there's also, as you said, there's the fortified, Um, non-dairy milks (laughs) just in case I get into trouble as well Um, and tofu as well they're your options as regards getting your calcium because especially tofu there's there's calcium salts added to some of the tofu so that's kind of the one you'd be going for so there's your vegan options there and tofu is very
0: versatile like you can do so much with tofu
2: yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. So there, you know, there are the options for the non. So you will get your calcium. And I understand, uh, particularly, if, I suppose, for parents, if uh, their teenager goes vegan, they're kind of saying, oh, my God, it's going to affect their bones. So it's going to do this. But mm. So long as they are doing, you know, kind of weight bearing exercises and things like that, that strengthens their bones naturally anyway. um, As well. Yeah. That, you know, it's a balance between both.
0: And we're not saying that they all have to become powerlifters, but, you know, simply going for a walk every day and maybe, you know, lifting a bottle of water up and down a couple of times or, you know, basic things.
2: Basic things, absolutely. So long as they're even standing, standing, you know, standing desks, things like that, just movement, just generally speaking movement, you know, because regard, you know, for anyone, any health. For your health, you have to kind of look at everything from your nutrition, your your stress levels, your movement, your sleep is hugely important as well. So kind of there's so much to be put together to be healthy. It's not just one thing by going vegan, you're going to be suddenly extraordinarily healthy. It's not, it's a combination of everything. And, and I, I, think I think that's
0: what that's people what are looking for. I think it's, I'm gonna to go to vegan, I'm gonna fix the planet. And I'm also going to feel so much better. But if you do a drastic diet change, you're going to feel it, aren't you?
2: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think even transitioning from, would we'll say say, when you'll be looking for the protein side of things, particularly um, in the vegan diet, you're looking at beans and lentils and all of them things. You know, start off with a lot of that and I'll tell you, <laughs> you will suffer gut issues, no question. <laughs> so kind of that, you have to transition a little bit slower. Things like even um washing the you know, making sure you if you're using the tinned beans and lentils to actually rinse them extremely well. Soaking your be if you're using the dried ones, soak them overnight before you use them. There's and small amounts build up. Otherwise, you know, it it causes quite a bit of gut issues until your body actually adjusts and acclimatizes to that. So go with caution there.
0: So if you are looking to Incorporate more uh, plant based food, fruits, vegetables, and um, mm-hmm. legumes into your yes. diet. Um, and you want to do it in a way that is not going to have you in the bathroom for overnight or is not going to knock your energy levels out. And you don't want to spend a fortune on the processed section of the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. What's the best way to start?
2: Best way to start, as I said earlier on, go slow build it up, build up your, um, you know, your ability, first of all, to cook all of these different foods, because there's a different cooking process now. And there's, there's tons of recipes online for anyone that, you know, kind of is interested in going down that and checking them out. Um, Diversity, loads of color. And that goes for anyone's diet. Loads and loads and loads of color. We're, supposed to have 30 different fruits and vegetables per week. Different. Wow. And I know from where I am, where I come from, you know, you could have carrots and broccoli. <laughs> it could be the mainstay for most of the week. And that's not sufficient. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you know, you look to the variety for your overall diet. Then, you know, add in plenty of herbs, plenty of spices. They go towards your thirty 30- 30 a week as well. So loads of herbs and spices. Get to know what spices you like and what herbs you like. Um, You have, of course, you know, you have your organic oats. You have all of them there, you know, they're vegan, vegetarian. If you wanted to have a healthy breakfast, you could have that with coconut milk, some cinnamon, some berries, maybe chia seed there's your healthy breakfast. You know, just get to know your foods. Lunch is the same thing. You have your, you know, your roasted cauliflower soups and garlic, um, large salads, fresh veg with your chickpeas, all of that sort of thing. So you kind of just build it up, but just loads of variety. Because I think sometimes with going vegetarian or or going vegan, um, it can be, um, particularly in the younger age group, attached to weight loss. Yeah. And I'm always kind of very conscious of that in, you know, kind of particularly in that particular age group because of disordered eating and all of that. So if anyone's doing that, you know, education there is obviously key that they're eating enough Mm -hmm. and that they're getting enough calories for what they're actually doing. Because if they're not getting sufficient calories, they will actually lose weight and their energy will go through the floor. They'll have yeah. no energy and all of that. So there's kind of the have to work on getting that into a balance. So, you know, educating as regards how to cook, how to, you know, what to prepare. All of that is essential and variety is the key. Adding your proteins, which I just said, uh, the beans, your beans, your lentils, your legumes, all of that sort of thing is essentially part of, your diet. quinoa is brilliant as well. Things like your pumpkin seeds, your temper, your tofu. And, you know, kind of watch the vitamin B12, which is hugely important as Mm -hmm. well, which can be quite low in people that are vegan. So that's why I said get your bloods down first. At least then you kind of know where your vitamin B12 levels are and then you can watch it. And then you supplement is a great thing as regards B12. Supplementation is probably key as regards keeping that levels up, particularly on a vegan diet.
0: So if you're considering going vegan, perhaps mm. book in an appointment with your practice nurse at your GP, get Get your bloods done, get your yes. GP's take on your blood results. Yes, um, absolutely. Because I know everybody's, and I know the doctor's practices, the medical practices are really overrun and, and stretched, but it is actually important to go in and have a conversation as opposed to getting a phone call to say, oh yeah, no issues here. Like yes. just have an actual conversation about this is what I'm thinking to, of doing. Yes, how do you feel about that as my doctor? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because yes, your bloods are grand might change to, well, actually you're on the lower end of normal in such and such a spot and maybe
1: do exactly. this slowly.
0: Okay. Exactly. And then do a bit of education, learn how to cook a few dishes yes. and maybe day by day, a breed yes. it. you know, yes. maybe just say, you know what Friday is going to be, I'm going to try and not eat meat on Friday or Saturday or whatever day works in your yes. household. And, Absolutely. um and take it day by day and avoid, if possible, those processed options.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Avoid the processed side of it as much as you can. Absolutely. Um, But as I said, day by day or meal by meal. Say if you want to go have your vegan breakfast today, you know, and then have two meals next week and build it like that. I think that's kind of the way to go at it rather than just overnight. (laughs) I think it's just, it can be quite difficult to do. And especially if you don't know what you're doing which many of us don't <laughs> not at the time as regards how we eat mm-hmm. and, how you know, things like that. So. And I think
0: like we're all I think after COVID, it feels like everybody is up to 90 work wise, stress wise. And it can be very hard if you come home from a day's work to go, right. OK, how on earth do I make this a meat free dinner? Mm-hmm. So like if you just go bit by bit and until it becomes a habit, you know.
2: Yeah. And batch cook. Yeah, batch cook absolutely it is one of the handiest things to do is just double treble your recipe freeze it at least then you know there's something there that if you come home in an evening and you're absolutely wrecked for more that there is something that you can actually pull out from the freezer so batch cooking is for that is the way to go really if you're you know especially as you said the workload our stress levels are so high um and we're constantly go 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 that it's it's nice to be able to just go to the fridge and just pull out something And just on the vegetables and things like that, going vegan, just, if at all possible, go organic, less pesticides, less all of that. And if anyone wants to kind of look up, there's a thing that comes out, I think every couple of years, I think it's every two years. It's called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. And it goes and tells you which ones have the cleanest uh, ones with the, the least amount of pesticides and least amount of all of that. And the ones that have the most. And if you can really? try and avoid the ones that have the most, do. Other than that, make sure that you wash everything very thoroughly so you're not actually getting any of those chemicals into your system as much as possible. So,
0: <laughs> And if you do one thing as a result of listening to Let's Go Green, please do go and support your local food producers in the Midlands and Absolutely. attend the markets and investigate what's available in your local market. Because, you know, we all kind of know they're there, but we might not make the effort to go yeah. every week. Yeah. Um, well, nutritionist Breda Mullaney, thank you so much for joining us on Let's Go Green. It's um it was great to be able to have a nice long conversation with you at this time. Thank around. you so much, Ashley. And uh, we might get you on again. You might give us some recipes maybe later in the summer. Oh
2: absolutely, absolutely no problem at all.
0: <laughs> thank you very much for your time. We'll be back after the break.
2: Midlands 103.
0: You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103, and I'm afraid I've run right out of time. Thank you to my contributors on this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget that you can tune in at your leisure on your preferred podcast platform. All you need to do is search in your app there for Let's Go Green with Ashling O'Rourke. And if you'd like to speak to me on the show, please do get in contact with me through midlands103.com, click on the on air team and look for myself, Ashling O'Rourke. And I promise I do read all of those messages and get. Back to you on them. In the meantime, though, have a great week, stay safe, and I'll be back same time next week with another edition of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103.
2: Midlands 103.